Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I remember a conversation I once had with a priest when I was a pastor on the south side of Chicago. We were talking about home visitations. I had just entered the ministry. I was doing my home visits and things were going great. He had been a priest for quite some time and he recalled one home visit that didn't go so well. He had visited a parishioner who was gracious, perhaps too gracious. She had made tea and cookies and she was looking forward to an afternoon of polite social conversation, not necessarily an experience of the faith. She had placed a photo album taken from her shelf on the coffee table in between them and she invited him to look through the album As he paged through the pictures, she talked to him about those pictures, and he politely replied, until he turned to one page, and he simply stared in shock. It was a page remembering her first communion, and there among the pictures in the center of the page was a little white round host. He asked her what that was, and she smiled, and she said, well, that's my first communion. (laughs) Instead of taking and eating the body of Christ, she took and put it into this book to remember it. Well, he looked at her, and he said, that's not your first communion. Your first communion is the time you actually took and ate the body of Christ like you were told to. To which she replied, well, then what's that? (laughs) And he said, that's Jesus stuck in plastic in your book. (laughs) Well, to break the awkward silence that followed, (laughs) he told her he wanted some more tea. So she went into the kitchen to get it. And much to her horror, he peeled back the plastic he took and he ate the host. I asked him why he did that, and he said, well, I'm not going to leave Jesus stuck in a photo album on her shelf. (laughs) He wasn't going to leave the body of Christ stuck in a book. We gather today for a theological symposium on Lutheran ecclesiology for the third millennium. For two days, we will study and reflect and converse and pray about the body of Christ, the church. The reason I tell that story is that I fear that whenever we gather to discuss the body of Christ, we might be like that woman who tries to take that body and freeze it in time as something to be remembered not necessarily lived. That we might take that body and we might put it into a book, a nice family photo album to remember and study and dissect and talk about, but never really experience our photo album sitting on a table as we engage in polite conversation about the church rather than actually being the church. You can't freeze the church in time. It exists in time, but you can't freeze it. 
because it is the living creation of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ into which you are brought through word and sacrament and in which and through which you live in this world until our Savior returns and brings about a new creation. My prayer for all of us is that we will dare to peel back that thin piece of plastic and take and receive and experience God's gift, the church. And yet to do that, to do that calls for faith. Because it's dangerous when you gaze upon that church When God brings you to new life, that could actually be a horrifying experience. That's what happens to the Apostle Paul in our text this morning. He is taken into a horrifying mystery that brings him new life. He has peeled back that thin film of plastic and gazed upon that church and been horrified and awakened to life. And what I would like to do this morning is I would like to spend a little bit of time looking at that experience of the Apostle Paul so that we might be prepared as we gaze on the church to come before God in fear, love, and trust in his work. Well, now, I'll admit that when you first look at the text, there really doesn't seem to be that much horror there. I mean, after all, this is Paul, and he basically offers a word of praise to God and then a word of paranesis to the church. He begins with a praise to God, all the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And then he turns in perinesis, in encouragement to the Christians in Rome. Therefore, in view of these mercies, offer your bodies as sacrifices, living, holy, acceptable to God. We have praise, we have perinesis, but we don't have horror. Not here. At least, not yet. But if you ask the question... What lies behind this moment of praise and perinesis? What is it that has caused Paul to cry out in this way? Then you are brought into a horrifying mystery that has awakened him to life. Annie Dillard um, tells a story about what it's like to encounter the horror of God's mercy. It's a fragment of an old, complicated Eskimo tale that she poetically weaves into her writing. She, She says that God is kind of like an old Eskimo woman who has a beautiful daughter, and her daughter is married to a handsome young man, and both of them live with her in her tent. Every morning, the young man goes out to hunt, and every night he returns and he makes love to his beautiful wife. But the old Eskimo woman is jealous. And so one morning, as the man goes out to hunt, she she tells him that she's going to braid her daughter's hair and make her more beautiful. And the man goes on his way. She takes her daughter's hair and she tightens it around her neck 
and strangles her. She then takes a knife and skins her daughter's face and takes that skin and puts it on her aging flesh. So for a moment, she has her daughter's beauty. And then she waits. The husband comes home. (laughs) He takes her in his arms and he loves her. But he's wet from the hunt And the heat of their passion causes that skin to slip. And he sees this old Eskimo woman. He sees that old woman in love with him while his beautiful bride dies in his arms. Such, says Dillard, is the love of God. He will kill your bride and hide there in her dying, so much does he want to make love to you. Something like that is happening to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has gazed upon the church and he expected to see his beautiful bride, and yet she is dying. Paul has cried out in this text in praise to God, but just moments before, Paul cried out in agony and horror. In the beginning of chapter 9, Paul says, I have unceasing anguish and great sorrow in my heart. I could wish, I could wish that I were cut off from God. I could wish that I were cursed For the sake of my brethren, Israel, when Paul peeled back that plastic to gaze at the church, he expected to see the beautiful bride, Israel. After all, hers was the adoption as sons. Hers was the divine glory. Hers were the covenants. Hers were the promises. Hers was the receiving of the law. Hers was the temple worship. Paul wanted to see Israel, and when he looked, his bride was dying. Israel did not believe, and now Paul wishes that he himself were dying, cut off, cursed by God, so that he could bring life to that bride, the church. And in that moment of dying, the skin begins to slip, and Paul catches just a glimpse of the face of God, that there is an eye that has never stopped watching And there is a heart that has never stopped beating. And there are arms that have never stopped reaching out in love to his people. And there is a word, a word to which God the Father will always remain faithful. Jesus Christ is the eternal expression of the love of the Father. Paul wanted to be cursed and cut off. He didn't need to. Jesus had been there and done that. He was cursed of his father. He was cut off from God in that he ordered that he might rise and bring life 
send his spirit to bring life to you. And this is what Paul discovers. As his bride dies, Paul discovers the church. Not the church as he imagined it to be, but the church as it is, as God creates it in the world. Through his spirit, those who live by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Paul discovered. He began to see that, no, all Israel had not died. He believed he was part of Israel, and those who believed extended beyond Israel. They actually went to the Gentile nations. And then Paul begins to see this vision where the Gentile nations now reach their arms back in love to Israel to bring all of that body to God. And it is at that moment that Paul now cries out that God has consigned everyone to disobedience in order that he might have mercy on us all. And so Paul begins to sing praise at a funeral. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And then Paul turns to Peronesis to encourage the Roman Christians to live this life. What does it look like? Well, it looks like a sacrifice, right? Paul takes the language of sacrifice, he takes the language of the temple cult, and he turns it out upon the world. (laughs) That being in Christ is not coming before God, offering your sacrifices to God. Being in Christ is God offering you in sacrifice for a fallen world. That being in Christ is being in his love, poured out in time, as a sacrifice for a fallen world. And that life is hard, but it's amazing. It causes you to fear, love, and trust in God. So I guess we should have put a little... um, disclaimer at the bottom of our theological symposium brochure, we should have written something like, warning, gazing at the church could be hazardous to your ecclesial health, (laughs) because you just might find that your bride, your church is dying, as God brings you into new life in the third millennium. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, he has a chapter where he talks about the joy of community. And if you read that chapter closely, you'll notice that he locates that joy in something that is dying. He argues that um, when we are brought into the church, we all have our wish dreams of what we want the church to be. We all have our dreams of how the church should operate, what it is that makes it beautiful. And the dreams are beautiful. They're lovely to look at and they're tender to touch, but unfortunately, sometimes we love our dream more than God. And our church becomes an idol that makes it hard for us to see God. 
And that makes it hard then when you uh, engage in conversation about ecclesiology. It makes it hard as you see what's happening to the church in the contemporary culture. You're driving to church on Sunday morning, you turn on the radio, and there's Krista Tippett in Speaking of Faith. And she's talking to Rick Warren about church. And he's describing his Sunday morning service. And he says, well, you know, the Sunday morning service for us is the tip of the iceberg. It's a funnel that leads into what is really church. That for us, church is the 3,300 small groups that are meeting in over 95 cities during the week and the 400 ministries that flow out of them. That's church. What happens on Sunday morning, and I quote, what happens on Sunday morning, to be honest, is actually the least significant part of the church. Now you hear that, and it's hard to keep listening. It's even harder to engage in conversation about ecclesiology, harder still to examine what's happening in those 3,300 small groups. Maybe the word is being proclaimed there. Maybe God can bring about church. It's hard to do that. It's easier to turn off the radio. Easier still to turn it to KFUO, right? Easier still to go to worship angry, not in agony like Paul, no, angry. Easier to retreat to a safe home visitation where our bride is beautiful and tender to the touch, and yet, yet life does not always lie in safe home visitations. Life always lies when God comes to visit and brings you home. And sometimes, sometimes that visit brings about a horrifying mystery. Dillard in her poetry, Bonhoeffer in his prose, Paul in his praise and Perenesis all suggest that sometimes when your bride is dying in your arms, it is then that you discover that you are in the arms of God. I was once a pastor to a woman I didn't know. <laughs> I knew her name. Her name was Dorothy, and she was a member of my congregation. I knew about her from my members, but Dorothy I didn't know. Um, by the time I reached the congregation, Dorothy was living at Fairview Baptist Nursing Home out in Downers Grove. She was living on a floor for those who were living with dementia. And I would drive out there and I would visit Dorothy, and Dorothy wouldn't recognize me as her pastor. I'd usually find her wandering around the halls looking for her purse. <laughs> and I would uh, get her to come with me into her room, and there I would read Scripture, I'd say the Lord's Prayer and the Creed, and sometimes, sometimes Dorothy would join in. And for a moment, I'd know her, my sister in Christ. But one time I was driving out there, and um, I was wondering why I was doing this. I'd been in the ministry several years, and um, those home visitations can sometimes wear off, especially when you have 26 that you're doing a month, and it was a 45-minute drive, one way to visit Dorothy. And I'm driving those 45 minutes, and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? There are so many things I need to do in the church. Why? Am I visiting her? I mean, she doesn't know who I am. And there's chaplains at the home. They can say the Lord's Prayer. They can read Scripture. But I, I went. I was having a bad day, right? Unfortunately, so was Dorothy. 
When I got there, she was more agitated than usual. I couldn't get her to come back into her room. And since I couldn't do that, I thought to myself, well, I'm just not going to waste any more time. And so I just started saying the creed. <laughs> Here I am, walking behind her in the hallway, and I'm just saying the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Dorothy is walking. And I said, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and she keeps walking. And I'm thinking to myself, this, I'm an idiot. Why am I doing this? And then I said, and in the Holy Ghost... And at that point, Dorothy stopped. Now, Dorothy didn't turn. She didn't look at me, but she did stop. And she said, and in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the confusion of saints. <laughs> Dorothy said, the confusion of saints. She was wrong in terms of the creed, but she was right in terms of the faith. That's what we had there on that floor of Fairview Baptist Nursing Home, the confusion of saints, a parishioner who didn't know her pastor, who didn't know herself, and a pastor who had no idea what he was doing. And yet in that confusion, there was an eye that never stopped watching. There was a heart that never stopped beating. There were arms that never stopped reaching out to us in love and a word to which God always remains faithful. A word that visited us that day where two were gathered and brought us home. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.